welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to Archery Country Podcast. This is Wade Grinegar, your host, as we're sitting in the suite at Rogers. We got some cool cats in the house. Mr. Dan Block, my good friend, colleague, is with us. And we got some new blood in the house. Mr. Adam Kramer, full-timer, Wade Park, full-timer here at Rogers. I know that sounds awkward, but he is. He's a floater. We are so excited about today's podcast because it's been requested multiple times by customers, and it has been a huge hit. Huge hit in 21 with the new bow release. We have, and we're blessed to have Mr. Evan Williams, the marketing coordinator, used to be the pro staff manager for a company with a capital letter H. Ladies and gentlemen, say hello to Mr. Evan Williams from Hoyt. Hey guys, how we doing? Pleasure to be here today. He sounds so good, Evan. Feeling good. My audio is working. Me and electronics sometimes just do not get along. <laughs> Blue parrot for a reason. I love it. Evan, we, uh, 2021, the new release, we're all waiting. We're all anticipating what's going to come out. Every, and then rumors started to fly that it's absolutely new. It's a new foundation. <clears throat> Hoyt knocked the socks off, so to speak, when it comes to the two zero twenty one bows. Before we get into that, Give us a little background about you, where you came from, what you did, how you did it, when you did it, and your relationship with Hoyt. Take us on a little joy ride, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely, and, and definitely try to keep it as short as possible. I don't want to bore any of your your listeners, guys. But, uh, yeah, uh, just a simple, you know, Northwest Kansas kid. Um, actually went on my first hunt when I was seven months in a backpack carrier. It was, a, it was an upland hunt, and really truly has, has always been in my blood, um, but started on the, on the firearm side, um, always rifle hunting. Um, I was an athlete, you know, four or five sport athlete growing up, um, you know, wrestling, football, track, baseball. Um, and then actually on the side was competitive shooting with firearms, um, on rifles. And that actually got me a division one scholarship to the university of Missouri, Kansas city, um, where I ended up being, co-captain, um, you know, was a, was a nine time conference champion, um, with them and then had the opportunity after school to move out to Colorado Springs and train with the U S national team at the Olympic training center. So the brother can shoot. <laughs> I've, I've had some success here and there. <laughs> He's dabbled. I got out there and you know, I, I had school loans and I had rent and, you know, plenty of bills I needed to get covered. So I actually picked up two part-time jobs. One of them was in the footwear department at Sportsman's Warehouse there in town. And the other was working for the local archery pro shop. And about five months in town, we were getting so busy at the shop that the owner asked me to come on full time. Um, so I was going, I was training about five hours a day from five o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock in the morning at the OTC. I'd run over to the cafeteria, grab some food on the go, run over to the shop and work a 10 hour a day and rinse, lather, repeat for about a year and a half and made the decision to retire from competitive rifle shooting. Um, had suffered a pretty big disappointment personally with the, um, Beijing Olympic tryouts, um, our sport takes the top two in the country. Um, and I managed to finish top 10, but wasn't quite high enough to make the team and being newly engaged, decided that it was something where I needed to start down a more steady financial path for my upcoming family and went full time at the shop and retired from shooting and was, you know, picking up some side gigs here and there in the industry, doing some freelance writing and things like that. And Spent eight years in the pro shop there and was approached by Mike Looper in the summer of 2015, who was the VP of sales and marketing here at Hoyt at the time. And they were looking to expand their team and my name had been brought up and flew out in June for an interview, was officially offered the job about two weeks later. And with 
the shop I was at in Colorado Springs being one of our diamond dealers, they had worked an agreement with my boss out there that we get through the busy season um, and I would make the transition to Hoyt in September of that year and move the family out here and September 15th will be my sixth year here at Hoyt. So started out as business development, PR and events assistant coordinator and six months into that gig rolled over to pro staff manager where I was there for five years and then here recently um, transitioned into a new role as events coordinator and technical advisor here for the marketing team. That is the most elaborate introduction we've ever had. How, how hard was it to make the transition from shooting the tail feathers off a raven's ass at a thousand yards to archery? Was it easy? Um, from the fundamentals standpoint, um, there's a lot of similarities between firearms and archery. Um, some of the harder transitions was honestly on my trigger release. Um, a lot of people, you know, 97 plus percent of our industry, um, as bow hunters uses an index style release and everybody wants that trigger right on the tip of their fingers, which if you're shooting a firearm, you know, rifle, pistol, shotgun, anything like that, that's great. Because if you think of parallel lines, if you have your trigger mechanism in line with your stock in your barrel and you have the first joint, the soft tissue on the pad of your index finger, squeezing and pulling directly in line with the stock in the barrel, that will pull all that recoil straight into your body mass, straight vertical recoil for recovery on a second, third follow-up shot, whatever's needed. With a bow, what happens is if you crane around and now that trigger instead of being vertical is now horizontal. So if I engage that trigger mechanism on my release the same way as I would engage a firearm trigger, and I get just the, the pad of my finger on there, what happens is as you apply pressure, you actually apply at a slight downward angle, and that can actually change how your D-loop and therefore the string and your arrow releases during that shot. Um, so the big thing for me on the mechanics side was relearning the mechanics of archery versus firearms. Um, just rebuilding my form and position to keep those horizontal planes of geometry so that you have bone to bone connection, straight horizontal lines. So you're pushing at your target and pulling away and having the best foundation. So you don't have induced torque or anything weird going on. Holy Hannah. Yeah. Okay. A lot, lot going on. <laughs> you have three, Middle-aged gentleman in here, and our minds just went boom. And if you would have seen, if we had this on video, every one of us took our hand, <laughs> and we're pulling the gun trigger, and we flipped it sideways, <laughs> and we're like, holy, dude, you need to like write a book or videos. That was awesome. I'm working on some of that. Oh, okay. Sorry. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Coming okay. soon. Yeah. Cat's out of the bag now. We get royalties for that. Just you know. Absolutely. All right, dude. Let's, uh, you guys, we've, we've, all three of us sitting here, we've carried Hoyt forever. Dan has been working here the longest. He actually started up in Waite Park and then opened the shop here in Rogers, had Hoyt, he shot Hoyt. Uh, we have a great relationship with our rep, Brad. And this year was eye opening. For, for us that are sitting here, we're very techie. We're, I mean, just like any archery technician you know, pro staff and, and what it comes down to sales. We're very, very impressed with the bows. If you wouldn't mind, let's, let's just go through all the models that Hoyt offers this year for you listeners that are still on the cuff about, you know, what you need to look at. And, and it's a cool thing is we have every one of them here at the shop, all three shops start with the RX five and the ultra version of that. And then we'll just kind of trickle on down, and then we're going to get into the advancements, what the idea was behind it, obviously the philosophy, 
that's taking place right now. But let's start with the RX-5, uh, the carbon line. You guys have had the carbon bow. When when was the first year? So, yeah, first, first carbon bow was 2010 with the original carbon matrix. And at the time, it was only offered in a 35-inch axle-axle model. Okay. For that first year. You know, and that's, and that's been a staple of, you know, what Hoyt has brought to the table now for over the last 10 years. You know, you know 2022 will be our 13th model year run with carbon. Okay. Um, and, and the one thing that we have always prided ourselves on is building and designing bows for every archer. So when you look at the Redworks line, which is your carbon RX-5, and your RX-5 Ultra. You've got two different geometries. RX-5 is a 30-inch axle-to-axle, and the Ultra is a 34. Mm. Those bows will, they cater to two different types of hunters, but more importantly is the draw length ranges on those. They're going to run the same cams, so when you put the same cams on a longer bow, it's going to allow us to extend that draw length range. So your RX-5 at a 30-inch axle axle is going to cover 25 to 30 inches in draw length range, where the RX-5 Ultra with the same cams will cover 27 to 32. So if you're a guy that one either has a longer draw length or just likes a longer axle to axle, you've got that ultra option and you still have the lighter weight that carbon brings to the table. Most of your, your whitetail guys, um, or your shorter draw length ranges. Now you have the benefit of going a shorter axle to axle, a little more lightweight, more compact and maneuverability in that 30 inch model. And the thing about a carbon riser <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong, when we talk about riser flex, and the durability of a riser uh, forever and ever and ever. It's been on aluminum setup. And there are some other brands out there, Brand X, that think they have a carbon riser. But the, the actual dynamic stability that the Hoyt carbon riser, a tubular design, uh, correct me if I'm wrong again, that, that's a very, very rigid material, correct, in the way that it's designed? Extremely. And when we first started designing and playing with carbon. It was actually 2005 is when we brought the carbon riser idea to the table for our company. Um, and it had been done in the past unsuccessfully didn't last in the market. Um, and we actually did four years of R and D before we even brought it to the table. And we looked at multiple different ways that are actually being used by other manufacturers currently, but our design is a hollow hand laid carbon tube. So what that allows us to do is do thermal runs on the dynamic flex patterns of that riser and allows us to individually layer carbon on hot points or pressure points or points that we need more or less rigidity. We can physically play with the amount of layering plus or minus for the specific dynamic flex range pattern that we want that riser to have. So we can control the tunability of that bow simply by playing with the amount of material and the angle of carbon. Because carbon comes in different flex and weave patterns. You have a zero degree, which is basically just a, a straight vertical up and down. If you turn that 90 degree sideways, you now have a 90 degree weave. You also have a 45 degree angle cut. So you've got different angles of carbon weave that each provide different strength to weight ratios that we can use in different parts of that riser in the layering process to add stiffness and rigidity to control the flex patterns and create the bow that we specifically want to release. Excellent description of that there's no need for it uh let's move on next so ventum so aluminum riser what's what's kind of the ratio evan from ventums to like arcs fives that you're noticing 
that shops are purchasing um, or, or ordering? This year, actually, from what I've been seeing and kind of talking to you guys, we've seen an upswing in our aluminum sales. Um, and, and mainly, I think it truly has to do with our cam system this year. Um, our, our Ventums on the aluminum side are our most tested and designed risers to date. Um, you know, typically, you know, we go through, um, iterations or prototype testing where we build a riser, we cut it, it goes through our dry fire and our cycle test and either passes, fails, or, you know, if it, if it goes through the, the fail process, it's back to drawing board and we have a general aesthetic sort of look that we're going for. And we, you know, beef up part of the riser here, beef up part here based on, what those tests showed us during that process. What we did with the Ventum is we actually went through and we already had our new HBX cams designed and we knew what they were producing by putting them on last year's Axios aluminum bows. So now the process was how do we maximize the efficiency and everything that that HBX cam is giving us? And so what our engineering team did is they actually looked at the frequency range that that cam was producing at the uh, sound level. And they actually designed the riser of the Bentums to reduce that specific frequency that that cam was producing. And every cam will have a different frequency based on size, shape, design, um, the type of, of, material on your bearings, where you have your cutouts. So we're able to look at the specific frequency produced by the HBX cam and then design and test those risers specifically for killing that frequency given. And so we went through, um, I believe it was 40 different design runs and over 17 or 20 actual different cutting and testing riser iterations. It's it's unbelievable the advancements. I guess I never really correlated uh, sound or vibration dampening to a riser in the cutout. Uh, honestly, I've always been a fan of the carbon bow. One of the perks of the jobs is we get you know a carbon bow, or we can we can choose what we want. I have to say, cosmetically speaking, the Ventum thirty three, the Ventum thirty, is one of the more appealing to the eye. Uh, I know that. <clears throat> cosmetics we don't really give a crap about but as far as just the way that it looks is going to catch the eye and that Mm -hmm. i mean that's not exactly what you guys were going for because like you're saying you tested so many different setups and cutouts and it's a very stable platform uh the hoyt grip has been treasured by many for a long 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 time and i'm glad that you guys didn't really change a whole lot on that but incorporating this new the new riser and we, we didn't talk about the, but the Ventum comes in a 33 inch model along with the 30. So back to when we were talking about the RX five fitting every bow hunter, <clears throat> same thing with the Ventum. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, building bills for every bow hunter. The unique thing that we haven't done in the past is create more of that separation between what the Redworks carbon series offers for actual axle and draw length range and what the aluminum offers. So, you know, in years past, you would have a short axle axle in carbon and aluminum. You have your longer axle axle in both models, and then you have a turbo thrown in there. And literally, if you went down and you looked at specs, except for weight, they were identical. Mm -hmm. So your short axle axles were either, you know, 30 or 31 or 32, depending on the model year. Your turbos are 33. Your longer axle axle are either 34 or 35. Same lens, same cams, same geometry. So, you know, brace height, pocket angle, um, all of those were identical. You could lay the bows on top of each other. Axles would line up. Limb pockets would line up. You, you literally, if you didn't look at the riser, would not be able to tell that you had two different bows there. You simply had one at a carbon riser and one in aluminum. So, um, 
lighter weight material, heavier weight material on the aluminum because of the, the density and, and the nature of the material. Um, different thermogenic properties, which is the, the regulation of heat and cold in your environment, right? Carbon being, you know, 208 times better than aluminum at regulating the temperature of the material. So if you're hunting late season in the cold, you pick up the aluminum riser, no glove on, freezes your hand, you grab the carbon, not so much. Same thing in the heat. You know, if you're, if you, and don't, please don't ever do this. You get to the shop and you need to run in really quick on your way to the range. You leave your bow in the car and it ends up being a 30 or 40 minute, you know, chat at the pro shop with the guys going over some stuff or, you know, sharing trail camera pictures and you get to the range. Now your, your bow has been in the you know vehicle for an hour plus and you grab that aluminum riser in the middle of summer and hundred degree days. It's a hot riser. Carbon won't do that. Um, and so you've had different materials, identical bows at two different price points. And uh, what, we use the warm to touch or cold, cool to touch, you know, philosophy when guys, it's, it's kind of funny. The customers that we have that come in, uh, we did one yesterday, RX five, uh, you know, the pro shop, you worked in a pro shop. We offer obviously the big seven, so we test out multiple bows. He narrowed it down to a couple. He grabbed the RX-5 and it was over. The The demo session was over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was talking to Dan mm-hmm. about that. Uh, just, there's a feel. There's a, besides the hot and cold, because we're regulated temperature here in the shop, but there's, there's also a feel dynamic. Um, I can't really explain it until you shoot one. You know, the difference. You guys have quieted them down. The vibration is literally nothing. But mm-hmm. there, is, there is a feel air quotes about a carbon riser. Do you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. It just looks yeah, wise too. I mean, it looks totally different than mm-hmm. 90% of other models on the shelf. You know, that carbon just looks different. It's not that aluminum cutouts. It's right. It's wrapped and it just yep. looks entirely different. And, and the unique thing again about the look on the carbon is especially with the RX five look, it's much more open. And again, with that tube design, you know, we kind of, that riser iteration, we kind of shifted back towards the original 2010, 2011, 2012 look where it's, it's a dual tube in front that twists and rotates kind of away from you. Um, and I like that because one up in the pocket head, you actually have a three point connection system. So you have essentially three legs of a tripod. Um, so you've got more surface area. It's a more stable platform. You know, for a while we had went more in line and it was um, more of what I would call the traditional look when you look head on to that and had everything kind of in line in a, in a two column system. Um, but the way that riser on a carbon moves, you know, when I get out and, and it doesn't matter if I'm in a tree stand, in a ground blind spot and stalking, um, that riser allows light transmission between your environment and that riser a lot better because it's got a more open design. There's less material in the way versus what you would see in my opinion in aluminum because aluminum can look blocky at certain angles. Exactly. I, I feel that, that, that carbon riser just it's smoother in those transitions and just flows better. And as far as offering everything for everybody, sometimes it's not uh, so much, it should be, but it's not so much on the cosmetic or the feel, but sometimes you have a customer that is uh, cautious of a price point set up. When we talk bow companies around the universe, Hoyt probably has one of the most solid price point setups and what i'm what i'm leading into is the torx and the torx xt if you wouldn't mind evan um the philosophy behind that and you guys have always had i say price point it's obviously considerably cheaper than the ventum or the rx5 but you're still getting a lot of bang for your buck you're still getting a very very high quality bow the limb material the riser the cam system it's very smooth easily adjustable 
take us uh, <clears throat> the philosophy behind the, the Torx, what it took over, and then also the differences between the Torx and the Torx XT. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the whole premise behind the Torx and the Torx XT line was again to have a Hoyt branded bow that guys would look at and go, I get all the benefits of a Hoyt. This has the same dry fire testing, it has the same cycle count. Um, it is a cam and a half system, um, which we've had in the line since 2003. So, I mean, almost two decades of history and engineering development into that cam system. Um, but at a price point that a guy getting into it that's on a budget can look at it and go, and I can get into this sport and I can get out and enjoy the outdoors without having to, you know, put my family maybe in jeopardy of, you know, I'm looking at a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, um, MSRP on the Torex, um, is six ninety nine, and MSRP on the Torex XT is seven ninety nine. Um, big differences between them. Um, the Torx is going to be a simpler system. So it's going to have a cable slide instead of a roller guard. Um, and, and basically it's simple from there's less moving parts. Okay. A roller guard is going to have, um, two rollers with an inner sealed bearing that as you draw, those cables are pulled out of the way and move through those rollers. Um, so if you're in any kind of moisture precipitation, um, you could potentially as a bearing wears out, see things seize up, things like that. Whereas the cable side being simpler is as you draw it, they go through a Delrin or a Teflon type, um, polymer that moves horizontally on a carbon rod can't fail in that system unless your carbon rod breaks. And the only time I've really seen that is if someone, you know, runs it over with a tractor. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So very, very durable. Um, very, very reliable. Um, one of the other differences is the Torx XT has a shorter brace height. So it's a six inch brace height instead of a seven inch brace height. Um, and simply when you look at brace heights, it is the speed at which the arrow is getting off the string. So from your draw length at, at full draw, you know, the faster we stop that string. So the, the farther away from the grip or the brace height, the faster we get that arrow off the string. So you're not necessarily transferring as much energy because you're stopping it sooner, but you're getting the arrow off quicker because it's not traveling as far. So longer brace height is typically more forgiving and you sacrifice a little bit on the speed side. So the Torx, you're looking at 327 feet per second, which is still phenomenal speed. Booking. Versus an XT at 336. So you're nine feet per second different. And I think um, that, I mean, they're just, they're, they're a great shooting bow. They're, uh, they look nice. They do look nice, uh, appealing. You can get them in, uh, not as a wide of array of colors, but you can, you know, you can doctor it up on that. Mm-hmm. And we've had a, a really good year with them. Um, they were released before the flagships <clears throat> and a lot of guys were already hunting, you know, with them late season and, uh, still flying off the shelf on that. Hydraulic specs. What are those again? It's, uh, what does that cover for? Both of them. Yep. So, so your Torx is going to be in one cam, twenty-six to thirty inches. Those will be in half-inch increments on a rotating module system. And then your Torx XT is twenty-five and a half to thirty inches. Yep. So it covers and then the everyone. Yep, and the XT has a long draw version, um, so we go to a one-inch longer limb, so we move that brace height from six to seven inches, and we can push that draw length out to 31. Perfect. So if you're a little bit longer draw length guy, 
um, and are, are looking to watch that final cash registered number, um, the Twix XT would be an option for you as well. Evan, one of the things that I've always admired about Hoyt Archery is back in 2005 when I first started getting into archery, there really wasn't a lot for youth models, and Hoyt had one of the very few youth models on the market, and that's what got me with the Hoyt brand and kept me with it for uh, 15 years or so, and uh, we just got done talking about different budget bows, and can you talk about what Hoyt has for the female archer, specifically in the Eclipse model? Absolutely. Um, so the Eclipse model is one that we saw a need with the increase in not only female hunters, but youth up-and-coming hunters um, to build a bow specifically for that little part of the market that is seeing some of the biggest increase currently. It has all the same testing standards of our cycle test, our dry fire test, but knowing the limitations that we want to put on that bow, limitations being it's only going to have a heaviest peak weight limb option of 60 pounds and the longest draw length option of 28 inches. We do all of our testing for dry fires and cycle at the heaviest draw weight and longest draw length available in every single model. So at 6028, on an aluminum riser, we're able to shave a lot more material off because there's less total stored energy at 60 pounds and 28 than there is on, say, a Ventum 33 at 80 and 31. So going through that testing process, we're able to build a flagship high-end model bow for growing archers and women that is 3.7 pounds total mass weight finished out of the box. Um, it's just under 29 inches and has two different cams. So it's a cam and a half system. It's got a number one and a number two base that allows us to cover 23 and a half inches on the shortest draw length to 28 on the longest. <clears throat> And it's sexy. I mean, it really is a good-looking bow. Absolutely. All right, Evan, I'm going to so, put the heat on you. You ready for this? I I hope so. Bring okay. it. I'm dancing in the fire. All right. Hoyt, Hoyt, Hoyt. Oh, my God, that's a big dog. Uh, Hoyt, 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 Hoyt. Forever and ever and ever. Okay, we set it up. Cam and a half. It's cam and a half time. We're going to go cam and a half. Got it. Welcome to 2021 models, <laughs> HBX. We, if, if there was ever anything, Hoyt customers are kind of Hoyt customers, right? And they like what they yep. like, and they can shoot what they can shoot. <clears throat> we, we rock their world with this year's. And it actually, we had to convince some of the old Hoyt, oh my God, it's a Hoyt, you know, blah, blah. We had to convince them to like, dude, it can be better. And I want to thank you. Tuning a Hoyt in the past, there's some black magic once in a while on certain draw lengths, okay? Not every Hoyt. Obviously, some you can get out of the box and you shoot a perfect bullet hole and it broadhead tunes and it's great. Thank you, Evan, and thank you, Hoyt, for making our job so much easier on the HBX cam and the way that we can shift the cam. But the, obviously, this just didn't happen one day and you guys went, oh, let's just change everything. Talk about the new, the new line. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a, uh, an interesting evolution, um, going through everything, you know, cam and a half was released in 2003. Um, and we've been looking and considering and watching the industry and kind of the development of the binary cam system for a number of years. And, finally got to the point where we think we can just do it better. Um, design the first binary Hoyt prototype 
put it on our Axios model from last year, and immediately had an insane decrease in noise and vibration just by changing the cam. Um, and what honestly, what that told us is we have an insane ability to cancel noise and vibration because of what the cam and a half on that specific model was producing versus the binary system. Um, and from that first prototype run, we just hit the ground and took off with it. Um, it is the first time ever in the history of Hoyt that we have run a binary cam system. And we honestly could not be more impressed and pleased with the results it's given us. Um, there are some things, obviously, that the cam and a half allows us to do on the tuning side. Um, so the cam and a half has a split yoke system on top, which for um, tuning purposes made it pretty easy. You had a little left or right tear, you know, get in the press, double twist in the yoke, boom, you're good to go. Um, and the new system does not. But we designed the HBX cam space tool that allows shops to pull axles and move spacers at a much more efficient rate um, than a lot of our competitors where you have to press them, pull strings off, get everything out, pull axles, get limbs off, ship things around, and then rebuild the entire bow and go, I just put them on the wrong side. I have to take everything apart again. And you just spent five minutes. And now you got to go, you know, use another five or ten to completely redo what you just did. So it was, it was all about creating a better end user experience, less noise, less vibration, smoother shot, and less of a headache for pro shops who are so used to that cam and a half system, making it the easiest in this transition when it comes to, you know, I need to, I need to get rid of, you know, a, a quarter inch left tear and I don't want to bring my rest any more inside. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> some companies, they, they say, Hey, this cam, you know, X cam is this amount more efficient than, um, than our old style one. Do you guys have, you guys base anything off of efficiency readings? Um, like what's the difference between a cam and a half to the new binary that you know of? I don't want to get the number wrong, so I'm going to go on the short side and know that we are at we are over 30% reduction in noise and vibration with the HBX versus prior cam and a half designs. And obviously, it holds its tune better too, without with not having a split yep. yoke on the front too or the uh, the top. Yeah, and that's and that is a huge benefit. Running a dual cable system like that is both of your controls are the same length, same serving specs. And with a binary cam system, as that archer comes to full draw, you have equal load distribution on each one of those cables. With a cam and a half system, as you come to full draw, there is actually an imbalance. So your bus cable does not load the same as your control cable. So if you talk to a lot of pro archers, Typically, what they're going to tell you in their tuning process is they have their top cam advanced or hitting that cable before the bottom so that it puts extra pressure and puts more load into that cable so that they get a more balanced system. Because of that and that unequal load distribution between them, you could have over time and use the susceptibility for those cables to shift slightly at different rates. You know, as string materials break down, as you use them, as they're exposed to sun and different types of environmental um, um, you know, arrays, um, your string materials will break down and they can do so unequally. Which With it can binary, be a huge problem. And it can, yep. It can, it can be something where the more you shoot, the more you're going to see it, and you will constantly be chasing tears. But 
because of that equal load distribution on the binary system that the HBX gives us, tuning and you know all the little playing has gone out the window. Set those suckers dead nuts even and roll with it. Love it. Love it. <clears throat> As we progress in the podcast, there's one series of bows that we we have a pretty large <clears throat> customer base for target archery. Uh, we're kind of right in the heart of you can go 20 minutes in any direction from us and go to indoor leagues. Uh, outdoor is huge. We got some really cool field courses. And, of course, <clears throat> a lot of our younger USA archers and Joad and that are traveling extensively. And we have some pretty big names kind of being a little bit uh, boastful right now. But if you look at Minnesota on, for especially the younger kids, we just set a record. Yesterday. <clears throat> Yesterday. And uh, so we have we have some legit target shooters. Number one selling target bow in our shop, actually I can say it safely for all three shops, is it's it's really, really close between two, but Hoyt always is on top. We've had the target bows have been a stamp for Hoyt forever. Um, with that being said, we're not going to talk about what's coming Let's dabble just a little bit about what is available right now on that. You guys haven't had to change a whole lot. Little things here and there. But it's a very, very profitable and very, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Great experience when you shoot one of their target bows because you can have so many different advancements. You can have different options. You can shoot a hard cam. You can shoot a soft cam. You can different draw lengths, riser lengths. And then the riser configuration, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there is probably been one of the longest shoot-through risers. I know you guys have a new model out that's not, but uh, mm -hmm. that when we talk about riser flex and having the stability of a riser, that riser platform is hit a home run. Yeah, and when you talk about target archery, you know, it really, you really don't see the short actual axle ranges that you do on the hunting side because. I mean, let's face it, it's about consistency and accuracy. It's not about being lightweight and maneuverable. So your target bows are going to be heavier and they're going to be longer. So our Invicta line has two models available in a 37 axle to axle and a 40. The unique thing with our target line is we have two different cams. Your DCX cam is going to be your smoother draw cycle cam. It is also going to give you your let off options. So you'll have a 65% module and a 75% module. So depending on what kind of holding weight you're looking for um, or how you physically shoot your shot, more aggressive pullers on the back end um, either like to go to that 65 so they're holding more or they go up to our performance SVX cam. The SVX cam is a fixed 65% but you still have two different options in how to shoot the back wall. You have the hard wall experience and what we call the soft wall experience. Um, and simply in the same cam, moving a peg from the outer track position, which contacts farther away from your axle, creating a harder back wall. If you move it in towards your axle, that is your softer feel because the closer you get to your axle in the contact of that cable with your draw stop peg, the little bit the more pliable that cable is. Um, so I actually prefer shooting the soft wall because it allows me to hit the back wall and load up into my shot a little bit more versus just hitting that wall and not being able to go anywhere and really pull through and expand in my shot experience. And the cool thing about the the Invicta line, so to speak, when we talk, there was always, target archers can be very fussy. You know, am I a 27 and a half or am I a 29 and a quarter? Am I an eighth? Uh, our, the grip system, we can add or take away that little extra bit. Plus, we have a neutral 2 degree, 4 degree, 6 degree as far as your angle. If you're real throaty and you like a high wrist, if you like to be a flat back, you have those options. Yep, and, and some archers will even change their drawing depending on what game they're going out to play. You know, in an indoor 
scenario if you're going to Vegas or indoor nationals or shooting um, indoor USA stuff, 20 yards, flat, you know, all of your conditions are controllable. So I'm going to maximize my drawings. I'm going to shoot this extra quarter inch because I can really lengthen, expand, and create that perfect T form. But when I go outside and I'm shooting a field course or a 3D course or, you know, one of the total archery events or, um, you know, anything outside where you could have variable terrain, uphill, downhill, um, feet on elevation or angles, um, things change. And if I go steep up or downhill angles, if I'm so long and overdrawn that I can't physically get into my back on the shot, that's going to create issues. So a lot of them will change their draw length based on what game they're getting ready to go play. So what we wanted to do was have that as an option for those archers without having to twist up strings or cables or change D loops and, and do a bunch of different things. Utilizing our modular grip system, we actually created a neutral grip. So you have um, within Victa a zero, a four, and an eight degree inclined um, palm, but with that, you also have the zero, four, and eight minus an eight. So it's an eight inch longer in the material so that when you get into it, you're actually shortening your draw length by an eighth of an inch just by changing the grip itself out and not touching the rest of the bow. So easier transition between games. And that's a huge thing, huge thing. One thing that, that brings up a perfect point, nothing to do with the grip. Forever, Hoyt, we had to be specific. And, and for a consumer, it didn't really matter because if you knew your draw length, we had to do it. But as far as carrying skews, <clears throat> we had a plethora of bows. Uh, if you were 28 or 28 and a half, you know, so we had different cam sizes. Uh, going back, reversing just a little bit to the HBX cam, one cam, two different mods that we always have. We can change, you can change your draw length to half an inch. I mean, literally, and I'm not saying to do this as a consumer, you can do it in the field if you needed to. Uh, we'll set you up and we'll do it right. But we have that ability to either have this mod system on a rotating mod on the HBX cam covering this amount of draw length and then vice versa for your longer draws we can switch it out super, super easy. And on yep. that, the you're, mod, you have 80% or 85. So if you're an out West hunter, you don't have to get a completely different mod. You just literally loosen a screw and then set the mod stop to 80 or 85. Yep. And, and again, you know, going back to the purpose and the philosophy behind the 2021 line is it's all about the end experience, both for the shop and the consumer having cam families with the cam a half system, you have, you know, a number two cam on a short bow that's going to run 26 to 28. Mm-hmm. Number three cam is going to run 28 to 30. And if that guy who buys the number two cam at 28 decides, and I really want, I need to, you know, I change my release. I need to go a half inch longer. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. to do that, we either buy a brand new bow or we're changing cams, mods, strings, cables, and potentially limbs because the limb deflection or the strength of that limb will change as you change the size of that base cam in the family. So things there to consider versus the 2021 line where, hey, you're in a shop, here's all my different colors, I've got one cam, I cover everything, and I've got spare modules. Mm -hmm. So you know, I've got a Ventum 30 on the wall that has a number two module on it that gets me to 28. This consumer is a 29, perfect. Two screws, pull the module out, throw in a number three module, tighten everything down, and you just changed that customer's entire experience in about three minutes just to change a module. And they also have the option of 
pulling out one set screw, like you said, and shifting the module foot. The mod foot is the hooked end of the module that comes around and makes contact with your cables or your draw length stop and your back wall. Shift that in or out 85, 80%, depending on what state you're hunting, the feel that you're looking for, how much holding weight you want, or how easy you want to be able to let that bow down if the situation calls for it. Lots of different options. No press needed on any of those. We love it. All right. Let's halt on talking about bows because this could go on for 55 million hours. <laughs> when this podcast is released, it's going to be old news, but we're recording it today. So it's not old news to us. Something was announced two days ago, a day ago, uh, a, day, couple days ago. a couple days ago. Uh, <clears throat> you guys had a little switch. Uh, as far as your staff, we have a new president of Hoyt and, uh, where they okay so it's not like this dude just came in from a different company and is taking storm he's been part of the family for a very long time with caution it don't don't get yourself in trouble but let's talk about the new switch and what expectations we have is it is it something that you guys are just shrugging off like okay yeah obviously he's been at the top of the chain for a while and and randy just wanted to do what he wants to do and retirement or where it is. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the new president of Hoyt. Yeah. So, uh, this week it was announced that Zach Kurtzall, um, who has been serving as VP of operations for the last few years for us, um, was named the new president of Hoyt. Um, and that will be effective July 19th. Uh, so we still got about a week and a half on that, you know, official transfer. Um, but yeah, it. uh, you know, it's something that I think Randy has been working for, um, kind of seeing the internal workings and some personnel shifting with how COVID has you know, affected us from the business standpoint um, and kind of where some managers and VPs have been maneuvered. Um, it was something a couple of us kind of saw coming um, because let's face it, you talk to Randy in the hall and he wants to share hunting stories. Yeah. He, eats, breathes, and just sleeps hunting. And there's nothing worse than seeing him on a Monday when you know he was on a hunt the last week and he got close a whole lot of times and had to come back to the office and wasn't out there filling that tag. So, you know, this is this is something I know that he has been looking forward to as well because now he gets to go spend more time on the mountain chasing mule deer. I love it. I love so, it. And, and like you mentioned, you know, Zach is, is not a new face um, to the industry or to Hoyt. Um, he started as a product engineer with us in 2003. Um, and he's had a lot of different positions with the company. Um, you know, from product engineer, he became engineering manager. He was director of engineering, uh, VP of engineering, and then moved to VP of, of operations overall. Um, he's been with the ATA technical committee for seven years now, seven or eight years. Um, so, you know, very well known and respected within the industry. Um, you know, grew up in Nebraska, raised in, in California and, you know, is a, is a big hunter. He's an insane target shooter, held his pro card for a number of years and, just one of those guys that when you walk around and you talk to him, whether you're at an event or at ATA or shooting, there's always has a smile on his face is just, you know, living and loving life. So just, I'm, I'm super thrilled. Um, you know, my, my first interview with Hoyt in 2013, uh, was actually with, with Zach and, um, knew at that point that this was a company I wanted to be with and Zach was a guy that I wanted to be working with and, you know, getting to work with him in his engineering role and, and now transitioning to VP is is something that, you know, myself and I know a number of employees that I've gotten to talk to are all excited for. And a big congratulations from a little old pro shop here to that. <clears throat> all right, question and answer time. You ready for this? I'll do my best. What you got? What do you guys want to know? We covered all the questions, dude. 
all the questions that we had from all of our listeners and all of our guys and gals in here, like we, Dan and I were, were sharing notes back and forth and Adam, we showed him the, the, every email that we have, we answered. So I don't really have any goddamn questions. Well, that was easy. But what hunts are you going on? Well, actually stop. Give us your setup. Tell us. We like that. We're junkies, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked that one. So, you know, going back to the separation in the two lines this year where we have, you know, matching short axle, axle bows in the RX-5 and the Bentham, and then the separation on the Bentham 33 and the Ultra RX-5 in a 34-inch. Um, I'm, I'm a spec guy. Um, I've got a degree in math and statistics. Um, I look at numbers. My draw length at 28 and a half, I get the best energy and efficiency at the top end of a number two cam or number two module now with the HBX system. So I'm running a Ventum 33. Um, I've got my limbs at, you came in hot. I'm at 75.3 pounds is where I came in at this year. Um, I, and, and if you guys have drawn those HBX cans, I'll tell you what, I was a little leery about doing it, but that 75 feels like a, you know, heavy 60, 67, 68. Uh, so really, really pleased with where that finished out at. Um, so I'm running a number two module, 28 and a half, 75.3 pounds. I prefer a limb actuated rest. Um, I'm running the AAE Pro Drop. Gotcha. Um, I run the new Easton Axis four millimeter long range. Um, I'm I went with a three hundred spine. Um, I don't think you can shoot too stiff. Um, and if anything, I can you know play around with the FOC on that a little bit. Um, but the unique thing about that arrow one the four millimeter. I like the smaller surface area, shooting longer distances, being out west. But also when I go home to Kansas, if I get a spot and stock opportunity on mule deer, um, I'm hunting very, very open terrain. And in Kansas, like a lot of Midwest states, when it blows, it blows. So the four millimeter allows me to reduce the total amount of surface area so I don't drift as much. And the new long range arrow allows me to have greater FOC. So I pull through the wind a whole lot better. So I am 437 grains. Oh, thank God that you said that. Yep. If you said <laughs> 600, I was going to push record stop. Right <laughs> and, and we can kind of talk a little bit about that too, but, um, I'm running the aluminum outsert instead of the titanium. So I'm 50 grains on my insert, um, instead of the titanium 55. Big reason for that is the aluminum has a little lip inside it creates a collar that goes over the shaft and we're talking like a 32nd of an inch or less. It is, it's very, very minute, but it's enough to protect the end of that shaft. Um, and so I like that extra protection for hard impacts, whether it's bone or pastures and hitting rocks or heaven forbid, like my turkey hunt this year through that bird and into a cottonwood. Um, and then I always run a hundred grain broadhead. Um, I am not a 125 guy. The reason for that is if there's anything that goes wrong on a hunt, if I mess up and break heads, um, if I miss a lot and just have a horrible hunting experience because I can't pull my head out of somewhere it doesn't belong, um, I can go to Walmart, I can go to the local pro shop, I can go anywhere in an area, and I'm going to find a 100-grain broadhead. It may not be the one... I've got tuned and I'm set up for, but it's going to be the same weight so I can grab a target and I can at least have the same setup, not change my pins or my tape, just do a couple tweaks and get those broadheads shooting again. Evan, what are you shooting so, for broadhead? Um, so my go-to rage <laughs> Ram cat um, in, in inch and three eighths, hundred grain original. Um, the next one I, I play a lot with is Grim the Reaper. 
Grim Reaper. Um, uh, it's their it's their micro hybrid. Oh, oh yeah, I think it's, I think it's the micro. Um, they've got two versions. One is like a seven eight uh, fixed versus like an inch and an eighth fixed uh, with the larger I think an inch and a half expandable. Um, and I I like that that smaller cut on contact. Um, I bet and that thing just tears it up. It does phenomenal. If you by chance have ever seen the video of the mule deer jumping the fence on me, that was one of their prototypes that Matt had gotten me to go play with. And I got those two days before that hunt, liked how they were doing and zipped through that sucker the minute he hit the ground on the, on the public ground I could hunt. So we'll, uh, we'll tag that video just so our listeners perfect. can see it. We'll tag that video there. It's a pretty cool deal. Yeah. So I, I definitely am a fixed blade guy. Um, when I do play with expandables, my top expandables is that, um, I think it's called the mini mag from Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's a, the four blade expandable. Oh, I, if you can shoot a four blade, and I don't care if it's fixed or expandable, do it guys. Um, a lot of people think you sacrifice the, the overall cutting area, but I'll tell you what, over a two blade in my experience, if you have a two blade and you enter vertically with the muscle tissue, in the right spot behind that shoulder, all that animal has to do is take a step and that wound channel closes and you lose blood trail. Exactly. Three blade, four blade broadhead, you cannot close them down because there's no angle that they can enter where that muscle tissue or the hide can close back up. Um, so I'm a fan of, of you know, a four blade um, when I can do it and especially, you know, whitetail mule deer back home, you know, those are my heads of choice. Um, is that mini mag, and then the second one would be a sever. And I know it's a two blade, and what I just said, mm-hmm. but there is something to be said for big, massive cuts because this year they saved my bacon. Um, it was a little bit longer shot. It was spawn stock on a whitetail in a cut cornfield, and came to full draw. He was walking away, and in my head, I'm counting steps, and he got to a distance, stopped for a second, paused, looked back pressure on the trigger and when it released he turned his head and got a step on me quarter and away and because of the shot angle and getting that step I went from you know good behind the shoulder to I'm in the hind quarter coming up through at a bad angle and having that two inch cut save my bacon love it so different different situations different scenarios you know there's a head for everybody those are kind of the the top five in my go-to list where are you headed this fall? So I have drawn my Colorado elk tag. Um, so I'll head down there. We're going to go. I like hunting that tag early. Mm-hmm. Um, that specific area um, I've hunted for the last eight years. And those bulls seem to really kind of be in that more searching phase early. And then around that 15, 16, 17th of September. Um, once they really start getting their harem circled up, they get a lot less vocal, a lot less responsive. Um, even to the point where you'll hear three, four, five bugles first thing in the morning as they're moving their cows. Mm-hmm. And then by 7:30, they're done. Mm-hmm. So um, I like going a little bit earlier on that hunt. Um, I also have a Utah General deer tag i'll most likely pick up my utah general elk and then we will do kansas this year not sure what species um growing up i have a lifetime license so my archery tag in kansas is good for either mule deer or whitetail um i targeted a buck last year that i know survived talking to the neighbors and i've got a little vendetta to, mm-hmm. to go and finish with him. Um, but I also am hearing rumors in my mule deer area of a buck that I want to go take a look at. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, if I can get that done, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a stone's throw from Nebraska and Oklahoma out there. So um, might potentially try and pick up one of those since they're over the counter tag. But looking, looking forward to the fall mm-hmm. season, especially with that new Ventum 33. Absolutely, bud. I uh, I want to 
comment that you, the unbelievable thoroughness and the knowledge that we just experienced in an hour and four minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, I really, really appreciate you being on here. And again, for all of our listeners out there, if you're on the edge or if you've never shot a Hoyt, uh, three locations, you can come in. Now, being the archery shop that we have, the ability, we are fully stocked. Uh, that's not going to last, but we are. We have every color RX-5, uh, Ultras, the Venom 33s, and the 30s. Uh, and again, Torx and Torx XT, Eclipse, we have a couple of those available. And Target Archers as well. Evan, we surely appreciate everything, man. Uh, we hope you the best, and we hope the company the best. We appreciate the relationship, and we'll check in with you this fall it's going to be after hopefully all of your hunts are kind of wrapped up but we're going to hit you hard when the new release comes out uh we don't have a tentative date but we will have our media team on that and we'll give you a little preview this podcast here is going to air in a couple of weeks from now um so like we said we're right in the thick of stuff just started actually we never really even took off from busy season but we are hot and heavy and we invite everybody in Keep track of us on behalf of everybody at Archery Country Podcast. Dano and Adam, thank you guys for being here. We will catch you on down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast.